Hi, this is Megan Ball. I fucking, oh my god, what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> we're, do we're doing Carrying Into the Void. Oh, oh, then I'm Brock Wilburn, glad to be here. I am having just, I'm having a time. I am, I am, okay, so it's been a while since I've had the kind of angry day where, like, I can't see. Like, I almost had an Uber bring me home from work. Do you remember Ubers? That was a terrible idea. I'm glad we moved past that. I was just like, I don't think I should drive. Uh, and and what is Brock mad at today? The C word, capitalism. Uh, once again, <laughs> just another fun, wacky adventure day. I I want everyone that I know to be paid a living wage, and more so than that, like what I think they are worth. And of course, what I think everyone is worth is a million dollars. That'd be nice. Uh, <laughs> and that's not feasible. Uh, so like. I don't know. Uh, sometimes I wind up in the workplace in a frustrating situation where I'm like, but this is this is not enough. This is and this is not the way things should go. And uh, boy, howdy, is that going to be a problem I encounter in local print journalism from time to time? Just um, having a day where I, I just want to just want to fight. I, I want to fight for the people I care about. But also, like, I've reached the point where, like, I, it, it's also the first time in a while that I've been like, I think I should punch a wall. It's been a couple of years since I put like a pretty good Brock-sized hole in a wall. Punch! Don't punch a hole. You're you'll you'll fuck up your hand. That's that's not the way to do it. Then you'll have hospital bills. Don't do it. Right, and because we live in a capitalist system, I'd be paying off those hospital bills forever. I see where you're going here. I'm just I'm watching out for you, buddy. The the matter you get at capitalism, the further into capitalism you go. It's capitalism all the way down. Always was chunk chunk haunted. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have for us today? Uh, well, speaking of hor horrifying, I want to talk to you about Pluto's gate today. I like the sound of this. You mean Pluto the dog? N no, but you know what? If you want to mentally put that in, that might make that funnier for you. So that's totally a you call. Okay. Okay. So we're talking about Pluto, the Roman god of the underworld. Unfortunately, not the dog. Um, and what we're talking about is a specific place in Turkey called Pluto's Gate. It's also known as a Hellgate, which is, you know, quality advertising as far as I'm concerned. And it's a place that was used to worship the god Pluto back in like 200 BC, like so like around like the middle part of the Roman Empire. And the god Pluto, what's his whole bag? In Greek mythology, but the Romans basically took the Greek mythology uh, homework, changed some names and called it good. It's a good rebranding on their part. <laughs> What? The Romans were like, why are we going to make our own gods if we can just steal some? Which, you know, fair enough. You know how you do with gods. <laughs> yeah. You acknowledge that this is all nonsense, and then you move on. <laughs> so th the whole deal with Pluto is it's the exact same stuff that you know about Hades. It's like Persephone, and it's the underworld, and stuff like that. So it doesn't really change from Roman to Greek. But one of the big parts about um, worship of Pluto was animal sacrifice. And the way you got messages to Pluto for, you know, begging for things or asking for things is sending an animal and killing it and being like, well, he's the god of the dead. The dead animal will bring the message, which, I mean, as far as leaps of logic go, I've heard worse. I've heard better, but I've definitely heard worse, especially since this is 200 BC and they don't know, like, to wash their hands. So, you know what? It's fine. Whatever. You know, cool. 
But the thing that makes this specific place of worship interesting is because it's cave, and everything that walks into the cave dies almost immediately. Hell gate. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it doesn't matter if it's a bird or, like, a dog or a cow. Like, think of, like, the biggest animal you could think of, and that thing's dead in about 50 seconds. And so the Roman priests would walk in there, and they'd be fine. They, they wouldn't die, but the animals would. And everyone who saw this were, like, absolutely mystified. Like, they actually thought this was a gate to the underworld. And, you know, you as a, a live person, you couldn't walk through there. But these priests were so special and so blessed by Pluto that they could step inside and the animal brought into sacrifice would pass away almost immediately. And the priest would be fine. <laughs> I know, it's really neat. So it was a huge place of pilgrimage, and it was kind of like a tourist town. Um, there were also, like, abundant hot springs around there. So people would, like, you know, go for the weekend to be like, hey, we'll hit the hot springs. We'll, like, sacrifice a dove. You know, we'll have a good time. And um, it was, like, a really happening place in um, the Roman Empire. So the interesting part of this is there's a reason why animals would die almost immediately when they walked in there. Uh-oh. Since this is a cave and there's hot springs nearby that means there's volcanic activity and so what is happening is the cave is full of dense carbon dioxide and so you would get carbon dioxide poisoning very very quickly and so the romans hmm. back in 200 bc didn't understand what carbon dioxide was or carbon dioxide poisoning but they understood that whatever was in this cave and they understood it was a kind of air like the miasma of the place it was kind of foggy or whatever they understood that that was what was causing this. And so they just, you know, used this as, you know, kind of a marketing branding tool of this is where Pluto lives. Everything who walks in here dies. A team of archaeologists who were uncovering um, this Hellgate after, you know, millennia because uh, with volcanic activity nearby, it had been fallen into disrepair and had been kind of lost to time a little found that the CO2 levels in that cave range from 4% at the very mouth of the cave to 53% in the middle of the cave and 91% about a foot into the cave. 91% in carbon dioxide, no matter what kind of living organism you are, will kill you, kill you in about a minute. And so that's what happened. Uh, the priest would go in with the animal that had been purchased, probably at great expense, by the worshiper. And they would, you know, they would release the bird or, like, release the animal, and the animal would wander in and keel over dead. And since carbon dioxide is heavier the lower it is, it's a dense gas, the priests, who were, you know, taller than these animals, could go in a little bit farther, and the gas wasn't as high, so they could stand in there a little bit longer, and they were unaffected. I mean, just imagine if you're an ancient Roman, and you don't know shit. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Okay. I, I had no idea you were that kind of person. <laughs> no, it's just you don't have the modern sensibilities. Like they had, they had built a little amphitheater so you could like sit there and like watch the thing going on. And like the bird you bought immediately dies. And it looks like magic. You would be astounded. You would definitely think that there's some like godly thing going on. There's a Greek geographer named Strabo who lived from about 64 BC to 21 AD. And he went there and he described it as any animal that passes inside meets instant death. At any rate, bulls that are led into it fall and are dragged out dead. 
and I threw in sparrows, and they immediately breathed their last and fell out of the sky. So, I mean, this made a huge impression on the people that were there. It was one of those places that people legitimately thought, this is the entrance to the underworld, or at least one of them. And it was greatly revered. And it's just one of those places that kind of fell into disrepair when the Roman Empire fell, when Christianity rose. Um, and of course, there's a lot of volcanic activity with hot springs and stuff around there. That when archaeologists were discovering it, they like uncovered the cave mouth and they saw like a bird fly in there and drop dead. <laughs> so it's still <laughs> it's still working even now. Hey, Phil, I think we're in the right spot. Yeah, this is the cave. <laughs> yeah, they're like good to hmm. know. They're like, wait a minute. I think this might be the place. Um, uh, that's a that's a death cave right there. If I've ever seen one. If you didn't know and you just kind of walked in, you know, it's. I just find this fascinating, the way that a natural occurring thing like CO2 gas could be used with religious worship. Because that's how they think the um, Oracle of Delphi worked. They think that she went into a cave oh, okay. that had affected her and made her have spasms and visions and hallucinated. And they thought it was a holy type of thing that she was being given information by the gods. But it's because she was being slowly poisoned by whatever gas was in this you know downstairs part of the temple she went into no just just being fart gas to death slowly uh, <laughs> but, you know that's who we worship yeah um and it's great that because that co2 is more dense the priests could walk in there and everyone thought the priests were were holy and 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 touched by death itself you know that's i don't know i just think it's really cool and also really kind of dark in a way and i think it's also interesting the the relationship people had back then with the idea of death than we have right now with the idea of death and i'm not saying this because i am as you all know a goth piece of shit who thinks about death probably more than the average person does but i just think it's interesting to to, to look back and see how people consider death to be you know uh, something that i could either could be bargained with or was a more natural part of existence and was something that was just kind of there you know, you prepared for it, you spoke about it. And nowadays it feels like death is one of those things that you never talk about. And when it happens, it's it's a secretive, almost like shameful type of thing. I don't know. I just feel like maybe a more healthy idea of, of death would be a, a good thing for maybe our society to have. I'm not saying we should go sacrifice birds in a CO2 cave in Turkey. But I don't know. It just when I was I, I when I heard about this at first, it really made me think. So um I don't know. I just we're gonna get Caitlin or somebody else from the Death Positivity Movement on as soon as possible. Yes, <laughs> I love her. I love her so much. But yeah, so that is the Pluto Gate in Turkey. And if you want to go there and you know get Pluto's favor and hurl a dove in there, I mean, I'm not telling you to do it. And there's probably security there, but that's where you go. <laughs> also, the best part of it is just picking up a bird and fucking hurling it. Just, <laughs> just baseballing a bird. Just yeeting a bird. <laughs> Yeet a bird. Yeet a bird. Pluto gate. <laughs> what is your carrying into the void? The carrying into the void moment today is you must craft your own mythology. Build your own legend up with bricks and mortar made of your dreams and your desires. Become larger than life, a figure of stories and songs that tower over those who would try to bring you down. You don't need them. You don't need priests or acolytes or naysayers. You can read your own fortunes in the entrails of your enemies. How foolish they were to think that you weren't still dangerous. Yay! 
What do you have for me today? I'm very excited. Banana peels. Brock. What? Banana peels. They're a menace. I mean, if you're a Looney Tunes character, sure. No. Human beings. Once again, what kind of person are you? That you are not <laughs> on the side of humanity. Romans are stupid and people can't die by banana peel. My goodness, Megan. Do people actually die by banana peel? Wait, hold, hold on. In 1907, Anna H. Stoller boarded a ferry, slipped on a banana peel, and demanded $250 in compensation from the boat's operators. Three doctors examined her, she claimed, and told her she needed an operation. She received $150, a significant sum at the time, although less than the $500 she received for her first banana peel incident, a fall on the train station steps at 125th Street and Park Avenue. This woman, in the early 1900s, had 17 accidents, 11 of which were related to banana peels, and she got money from all of them. Was this like an old ancient insurance scam? Well, it seemed like it uh, because they eventually took her to court for making false claims. But it turns out people were getting hurt or dying because of banana peels in New York City all the time. Uh, and here's why. Bananas first got to New York and they were this, this luxury item like a caviar because like who could possibly have them? Because the closest country that could get them to America, it took about three weeks by boat. And like by that point, banana shelf life is over. And then they realized how they could pack them and store them in a way that they would last. And so this caviar thing became accessible to the man on the street. And so vendors on the street started selling bananas and everyone was like, I'll just eat a banana while I'm walking about here like it's a churro at Universal Studios. And then when they were done with the banana peels, they would toss them on the street. And the banana peel is, scientifically, one of the slipperiest surfaces on the planet. And because no one was picking it up, People just kept slipping and getting hurt, breaking their legs, breaking their hip. And of course, at that point in time, especially like late 1800s, early 1900s, breaking your leg meant you'd probably die. Like, so people died from slipping on banana peels. And so uh, orange peels and potato skins actually had a similar sort of evolution. But again, they weren't nearly as slippery. So, like, the police tried to institute a law that, like, if you threw a banana peel on the ground, this is some real Mario Kart shit. Uh, if you threw a banana peel on the ground, like, it was punishable by a fine, but no one ever got fined for throwing a banana peel on the ground. So everyone just kept throwing banana peels on the ground. Uh, and then uh, this actually became an issue that spread across the country. Uh, this was a similarly large issue in St. Louis, of all places. The problem became that in some of these cities, the trash men would pick up trash that was in trash cans, but nothing else that was set out by the street or anywhere else. So in New York in the early 1900s, trash would get up to ankle or even knee deep in certain places. And if there was a banana peel anywhere in there, it would wind up hurting somebody. Like it didn't matter. It was just the slippery surface and it would take you down. So the city got a bunch of wild pigs and set them <laughs> loose in the city. Uh, to cause them to uh, like have them eat the trash the problem became that um the pigs wound up eating everything except for the banana peels oh my god <laughs> like the banana peel would wind up under the trash and it would now decompose for weeks on end which makes it slipperier and then the pigs would clear the trash so you now had like an ultra banana peel that was three times as slippery as the original banana peel and people started getting hurt even worse. So anyway, Atlas Obscura has a whole look into this under the title, When New Yorkers Were Menaced by Banana Peels. 
it goes back more than 200 years. It really uh, dabbles in a lot of things, but, uh, but truly, that maybe everything in vaudeville was based in a horrific reality that us uh, raised on Looney Tunes were unaware of. Perhaps uh, people did get pulled off stage by gigantic hooks, and that was how they died. Like, who knows? <laughs> now everything is up in the air. Are vegetables real? <laughs> yeah, are vegetables real? God. They aren't. New York City got 30 to 40 feral hogs and let them loose in Manhattan. <laughs> and, and that's what happened. That's, that was their solution. And that's what made bananas a lethal weapon (laughs) (laughs) this is one this is genuinely one of the most interesting hilarious stories you've ever brought us and i am so delighted by this like wow (laughs) i'm just happy to be here (laughs) (laughs) do you have a carried into the void for your deadly banana peels whoops this is a slippery slope of issues and the wrapper of your sanity is a thin veil while you're all sugar on the inside who can forget that you're wrapped in a weapon Sure, you don't mean to hurt anyone, but those who don't pay attention to your many layers will wind up hoist by their own petard and face down in the gutter, screaming. All that is needed to prevent pain, injury, or death is quite simply that you be held, and when not being held, placed in the home where you were meant to be. Caring into the void is an ideology, but caring unto your skin is the goddamned instructions. You've outdone yourself. Bananas, the greatest threat to humanity in 1907. (laughs) Yeah, you need to do like an old-timey radio voice. That's fabulous. Just A+. Bananas, the communist menace. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, I had no idea about this. Wow. Me neither. I love the internet. Thank you, internet. Thank you, internet. You've you've given us so much and taken so much away. I'm going to throw a bird at the internet. Eat bird! <laughs> Eat bird. <laughs> throw a new battle cry on the show. <laughs> Jordan, come back prepared to yeet a bird. <laughs> yes, that's that's going to be part of his his welcome back instructions. We'll give him like a packet. <laughs> Here's the through lines uh, that you've missed. Very few of them, but yeet bird right there at the top. <laughs> What's your self-caring for this week? I've watched another television program. Uh-oh. Yeah, I watched all of Castlevania on Netflix, and it was Chef Kiss quite possibly one of the best animated television programs I think I might have ever seen. It was so good, and I loved it so much, and I watched the entire season in one day, so uh, my mental health after that was super good. I loved it, and I actually went back to season one to start a rewatch again, so if you haven't started watching Castlevania on Netflix, do so. You don't need to have played the video games, and it's probably better that you haven't because you can't play them on any modern-day systems now because... The less said about that video game developer, the better. But yes, Castlevania. That was my self-care, and you should get into it if you haven't. My self-care for the week is uh, to just wash your sheets and pillowcases. The hell you say. (laughs) Uh, It is a thing that I forget to do for long periods of time, and then especially in a house with pets, but uh, certainly previous to pets when I was a lone bachelor is to just let them stay there. Because, like, well, the bed functions. There are sheets. uh, They move. uh, They make me warm at night. But they get covered in dust and in mites and in pet hair, if you have a pet. And uh, usually when I see the bed sheets, it is at the end of the day. And even if I'm like, wow, that looks quite poor, the thought of, like, oh, I should go wash that and replace it with something else is never on my mind because it is time to go into the darkness and never return. So I've started... (laughs) 
trying to wash sheets and uh, pillowcases at least once every two weeks, which for some people might be low, but for me is better than once every four months, which is insidiously horrible. Uh, and uh, it has helped with things. Hey, I had a sort of continual cough that wasn't going anywhere, and suddenly it's gone, like magic. I'm not sure the two are related, but... <laughs> So yeah, that's what I've got to give to you. You want to wrap this show up? I do. And remember, keep your hearts dark and true and your teeth sharp and many. And we'll see you next time in the void. Sharpen those teeth! Hell yeah! Yeet a bird. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>